Hello, and welcome to Transport Topics Live on Web. Today, we will delve into the 2015 edition of the TT Top 100 Private Carriers List. Today's presentation is brought to you by PeopleNet and Denso, whom we thank for their support. My name is Joe Howard, and I'm the Features Editor here at Transport Topics. I'm joined by the mastermind behind the TT List, Senior Features Writer, Dan Berth. The Private Carriers List is the third of four lists TT will compile this year, joining the top 50 logistics companies and the top 104 higher carriers list, which we compiled earlier this year, and the TT top 50 global freight carriers list, which will debut later this month. The private carriers list, which appeared in the August 24th issue of TT and is available online at ttnews.com, includes fleets operated by companies for their own business needs. Although, as we'll learn later, at least one fleet has adopted a hybrid <coughs> private and for hire model. That fleet is Red Classic Services, and its president, Ron Drogan, talked with Dan about this growth opportunity his company has identified. That's coming up a little later in this show. We'll also be exploring how the driver shortage has become a difficult and fairly new problem for private carriers, <coughs> and also the addition of an expanded listing of fleets broken down by business sector. We also will be answering your questions. We've received quite a few in advance of the show, and we thank all of you who have reached out. During the show, you can also submit a question live, um, or you can also comment at share at ttnews.com. Once again, that's share at ttnews.com. You can also comment directly on this article page. Dan, that's a lot of ground to cover. Perhaps you could kick us off with some discussion of the changes to the list, including the addition of those sector lists. Yes, thank you, Joe. Um, our presentation this year uh, is a little different. We're including a ranking of private carriers by uh, sector. And what this does is it allows uh, you to see how, more clearly how fleets compare with each other uh, uh, in their peer groups. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> pardon me. Um, so this is kind of the heart of the private fleet market. And uh, we've identified 12 different sectors, uh, which are uh, food service, grocery, uh, beverage, agriculture and food processing, petroleum and chemical, wholesale and retail, uh, industrial gases, uh, paper and office products, building materials, equipment rental, manufacturing and waste management. Now each of these sectors has a little different dynamic. Um, and, but one thing that they, many of them share is a trend towards consolidation. And we see this uh, most clearly in the food service sector where um, Cisco Corporation tried unsuccessfully this year to merge with its largest rival, which is U.S. Foods. Uh, the two companies are ranked number one and number two in the food service sector, and number two and number six overall on the top 100 list. Well, as we know, the, the deal was, was not completed uh, in part because of opposition from the Department of Justice, which um, claimed that uh, a merger would hurt competition and lead to higher prices for restaurants, hotels, and other institutions that buy food and other supplies from these food service companies. And if you look at the uh, ranking of fleets in the food service sector, uh, you maybe can see why regulators were a little concerned. The combined fleet of Cisco and U.S. Foods would have been six times the size of their nearest competitor, Performance Food Service. Of course, if you want to uh, see what true domination looks like, uh, I suggest you look at the wholesale and retail distribution sector list. 
there you'll find Walmart, uh, Walmart Transportation, uh, which has a fleet of more than 6,200 6, tractors. And that compares with 754 tractors reported by the second largest fleet in that sector, right, which is a, a fleet that serves Walgreens stores. So quite a dramatic uh, difference. Uh, in the grocery sector, we've also seen significant consolidation in recent years uh, with the merger of Safeway and Albertsons uh, occurring this past year. Uh, Kroger uh, company buying Harris Teeter Supermarkets uh, in 2014. And another blockbuster deal has just uh, concluded between uh, Delhaize Group in Belgium and Royal Ahold in the Netherlands. Uh, both of these companies operate uh, supermarket chains in the United States, mostly along the eastern coast. And uh, Delhaize, you'll see, ranked number four in the grocery sector and Ahold uh, number 11. Um, an interesting footnote, uh, Joe, to this story about Ahold is that when we uh, put together the very first ranking of the top 100 private carriers list in 2002, 2002 I guess, Ahold ranked number one, which this was a big surprise to me and maybe, maybe some other people, but at the time Ahold owned a company called U.S. Food Service which had later spun off to uh, an investor group for more than $7 billion. And that company became what is today U.S. Foods, right? Another um, item of trivia uh, uh, is that uh, Walmart at that time also owned a food service company called McLean, which it sold to Berkshire Hathaway for $1.5 billion uh, in 2003. Uh, of course, Walmart is today ranked number three on the top 100, and McLean is, is number, number nine. So, so historically, grocery and food service have had a lot to do with this list. Yes. You know, then as now, but they're not the only ones. There's a lot of activity going on in other sectors. Yeah, <clears throat> indeed. In fact, uh, this consolidation trend is affecting a number of other industries, and, uh, and probably the principal one is uh, petroleum and chemicals, because um, low gas prices has uh, forced companies to uh, um, do what they can to reduce expenses. So um, uh, Halliburton um, is ranked number five in this sector. Uh, it is proposing to merge with Baker Hughes, um, which uh, is also highly ranked in the sector. Um, in the building materials sector as well, uh, this came as a little bit of a surprise to me, but uh, the combination of Builders First Source and ProBuild Holdings created a, um, a new company that uh, ranks number one in this sector and number 35 overall with almost 1,000 tractors. So it's a huge fleet. So you know, we've got a lot going on with mergers and acquisitions, certainly within sectors, but what can you tell us about what's new with the overall list this year? Yeah, I can tell you that uh, you know, PepsiCo uh, ranks number one again, same as last year. Um, Cisco and Walmart uh, rank number two and three. Uh, Coca-Cola Company comes in at number four this year. What's interesting about um, the rankings of, of Pepsi and Coke uh, for me is that um, although they're still large, they are quite a bit smaller than they were a year ago. Uh, and this is a result of, of some restructuring that both companies have undertaken uh, over the past year. They both bought very large independent bottling companies in recent years, 
and they've been working to kind of rationalize their, their uh, fleet since. Uh, what Coke in particular has done is allocate more distribution territory to some of its other smaller independent uh, um, uh, bottling companies, uh, which has allowed those companies to expand. One of those companies uh, that has uh, uh, received some distribution territory actually is uh, Ray's Holdings. Uh, which is a major food and beer distributor based in Chicago, right? They picked up some territory in Michigan and Illinois. Uh, what's, uh, what's interesting to me about this is this represents the first uh, venture into uh, uh, soda distribution for this company. Uh, and it could be a, a very major growth area for them in the future, something to watch. And something, you know, something that we've noticed in your reporting for this issue, Dan, with companies like this and many others on the list is that there's a lot of interest and opportunity to grow. But there's also you know, a serious issue that's confronting these private carriers and the entire industry that these guys are dealing with. Sure. Um, we all know that there's a capacity um, constraint in the overall trucking market that's affecting all carriers. So um, a lot of companies are uh, concerned about that and, and their response is to try to increase the size of their private fleet to give them some insurance that they have enough freight hauling capacity. Um, but they're having difficulty doing that. Why? Because uh, they can't get enough drivers. Um, uh, now this is a new problem for some of these companies, right? Um, many of them uh, only hire experienced drivers. Um, and where they have traditionally gone to get these drivers from the four hire fleets, from maybe some vocational companies that are in the market, um, uh, those companies are experiencing shortages of drivers themselves. They're doing a better job of retaining those drivers by increasing pay and, and other things. So the supply uh, is shrinking uh, and demand is growing. Um, most experts think this is a problem that's only going to get worse as time goes by. In fact, uh, uh, Bob Costello, who's the chief economist at American Trucking Associations, has talked about this before during our last live on web program. Uh, and um, heads up, I, uh, I understand Bob is preparing uh, to release very soon a new estimate of the driver shortage, um, um, which should give us some more insight as to the scope of the problem. So quick reminder, if you want to hit us up with uh, some questions or comments, the email is share at ttnews.com. Or again, you can comment directly on this article page. But Dan, getting back to that question about finding drivers, what are some of these companies doing? They're, they've got some creative ideas. What are they doing to find these drivers? Yeah, um, one thing they're doing is looking in some new places. Um, a company like Purdue Farms, for example, has a workforce of 19,000 people um, and plus a private fleet. Um, so what they're doing is they're trying to uh, determine if some of those people who work in their um, food processing plants and, and on the chicken farms uh, where they raise these uh, animals uh, could be interested in driving trucks. Um, other companies are uh, increasing their recruiting efforts um, using social media and internet advertising to find uh, people. We talked with Brian Farrell at Sentinel Transportation in Delaware. Um, uh, this is a fleet that hauls uh, chemicals for uh, DuPont and uh, Phillips 66. Uh, he's making a point of going to more job fairs in, in local communities uh, uh, in an effort to keep up with demand for drivers. Uh, another fleet, um, uh, Dot Transportation, um, which is a food redistribution company, um, is offering to pay for 
training at, at local schools. Um, we spoke with um, uh, Chris Seberg, who is uh, uh, the fleet director at Kihi Distributors in Illinois. He's had great success, uh, he says, in convincing uh, uh, personnel who work in, in his warehouse uh, to become drivers. Um, in fact, he calls this program uh, Shifting Gears. And if you don't mind, I'd like to, to relate a little bit about what Chris told me about this program. He said, quote, we take the best qualified warehouse associates uh, who have a clean personal driving record and a great work record, and we pay them to attend a six-week CDL training program through a third party. And that's followed by a six to eight-week uh, program uh, uh, for on-the-job uh, finishing uh, in which these people are paid. Um, this is a, a pilot program uh, that Chris has been experimenting with over the past year, and, and he says this has resulted in a number of benefits for his company, including uh, uh, a younger average age for drivers and increased job satisfaction from the warehouse workers who see driving as an opportunity for, to make more money and to advance their careers. So uh, the success rate uh, for people who are moving from warehousing to trucking jobs is, he says, is well over 65%. And, and that's remarkable given the turnover rates that we typically see in trucking for new drivers. It's, it's very high. So this is a very good program. It's interesting that it's great to see that program like this having so much success, but as we mentioned at the top, it's also a fairly new problem for a lot of these private carriers. There's always been a lot of, a lot of loyalty, and once, once, you know, once they get these guys in these jobs, they tend to stay, but yet all of a sudden they're facing these same challenges. So why hasn't it been an issue for these guys in years past? Yeah, the answer to that is uh, uh, private fleets have the best jobs in, in trucking, um, by and large. Um, uh, they're able to attract people because of higher pay, better working conditions, uh, and as you suggest, turnover historically has been incredibly low at these places. Um, and these are, these are great advantages that still exist in the market, but it's no longer enough to keep up with demand uh, f for drivers uh, uh, to allow these companies to expand. So um, there, many of them are, are at the point where they're going to have to uh, do more uh, and sort of, for some of them, build the infrastructure from scratch to recruit and train more drivers. Right. Yeah. Once again, if you want to hit us up, share at ttnews.com or you can comment directly on the article page. I bring up question and answer because one of the questions we received sort of hits on this issue of working for private fleets and segues rather nicely into the next part of our show. Uh, Paul, and I'm probably going to butcher your name, Paul. Paul Kangatha, sales director at uh, Freight Connect, says, what are the creative models being used and considered to help drive a driver talent pool? What are current implications to the shippers and consumers due to the shortage? And what are future implications if, as it gets worse, and it's probably more of an as it gets worse than an if, um, what, if anything, can shippers do to prepare and stay ahead of the curve on this? Well, one of the things they can do is develop innovative business models. And um, as I mentioned at the outset, Dan uh, conducted a fairly interesting interview with Ron Grogan from Red Classic, and he talked about something his company is doing to, in, in, in the absence of being able to find new drivers, maximize the operations they have. 
Yeah, Joe, yes, and we'll, we'll hear that in a moment. Um, um, Ron has developed a hybrid fleet that distributes beverages for Coca-Cola Bottling Company Consolidated, uh, but also um, hauls freight for other companies and provides freight brokerage and truck maintenance services in the market. Um, I think you'll find what he has to say very interesting. Let's have a look. We're speaking with Ron Drogan at Red Classic Incorporated, in, which is the private fleet of uh, Coca-Cola Bottling Company Consolidated. Ron, thank you for joining us uh, today. Uh, the first question to you would be to uh, help us understand what is Red Classic uh, and what exactly does it do for Coca-Cola Bottling? Well, first of all, I appreciate you taking the time to have a, a conversation with us today. Um, Red Classic is actually a, a hybrid of a private fleet and a for-hire fleet. Red Classic provides internal services to Coca-Cola Consolidated, but taking it back a little bit, a couple of years, um, Red Classic was actually a private fleet, a function of Coke Consolidated, delivering products to the big box stores for Coke, for Coca-Cola and other aspects of the Coca-Cola network. And then someone realized that we have a lot of trucks on the street. Why don't we create a for-hire carrier that can not only provide services internal to the Coca-Cola network, but also provide services outside of Coca-Cola. So we're actually a portfolio of companies. We are a asset-based transportation company. We're an owner-operator-based transportation company. We're a direct store delivery transportation company, which is taking pedal runs to um, the uh, big box stores, but we're also a uh, maintenance company and a large freight brokerage company. So we, at the outset of what Coca-Cola cons uh, Consolidated started from a private fleet has transpired into a uh, portfolio of transportation companies that operate in the commercial arena, providing services not only to beverage companies, but also to other companies outside of uh, the Coca-Cola arena. Yeah, that's very interesting uh, to hear. Um, um, you have a background in, in for hire transportation, if I recall correctly. Uh, could you talk a little about the benefits that this organization has um, accrued to Coke bottling? Well, well yeah. The benefits are, are multiple. It's one, you provide transportation services internal to the, the parent company, which is Coke Consolidated, as well as Coke Consolidated is part of a, a broader portfolio of Coca-Cola companies providing services for the Coke network. What you do is you, you align it, the infrastructure of the Coke network without other customers um, in addition to the Coke network, and you leverage backhaul freight, you lower your overall operating costs, not only for Coca-Cola, but for your, your customers that you're bringing into the Coke portfolio. So you analyze your freight network and say, what customers in, in the interior of that brokerage network or that freight network can I align ourselves to to provide services not only for Coca-Cola and reduce operating costs, but I can also align ourselves with other customers outside the Coke network put those two together and have an optimal freight cost perspective. So we provide a, 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 a multitude of benefits to the parent company, lower operating cost, but the customers outside the Coke network, we also provide lower operating costs by aligning the two. But we also, quite frankly, have um, capabilities beyond just the Coke network. We have freight brokerage business and over-the-road asset business, over-the-road OTR, uh, owner-operator business that has nothing to do with the uh, um, the Coke network. So we just do what a transportation company would do by 
taking your total network capability and bringing what capabilities you have to specific customers and saying, how can I optimize your business? How can I provide the best um, service offering to you at the highest levels of service, but also with the lowest cost structure by looking at what our network. So what the the Coca-Cola business has allowed us to do is create a structure, a foundation that's allowed us to launch off of that to provide services beyond just Coca-Cola. Yeah, very good. Has this organization also been a benefit in terms of your ability to attract drivers and other talent to your organization? That's a great question. The interesting part about the uh, being aligned with the Coca-Cola company, Coca-Cola, just the name itself, provides a sense of stability, structure, financial capabilities. So when we and we do that, quite frankly, we align ourselves. We tell people that we are part of the Coca-Cola network, which allows us to introduce a financial stability that isn't always seen in the transportation industry uh, about the long-term view of what we're trying to uh, create uh, capabilities. I mean, have a Coke and a smile. How could you beat that? So we do have the capability. And quite frankly, we pay a little more to our drivers. We pay a little more and we're focused on the um, quality of life aspect for our drivers. So the whole Coke aspect of the quality of life and what the brand actually means, we try to bring the transportation. We have the saying, what we want to, what Coca-Cola brought to beverage, we want to bring the transportation. And, and we sell that and we market it. And quite frankly, we live to it. So we have the great capability to attract uh, drivers, owner operators, leadership team and quality staff. And you know, we create a great, a, a very good work environment where people are attracted to. Yeah. All right, Dan, that was a great interview. Thank you for doing that. Mm-hmm. Ron, thank you for participating. Um, that's some pretty interesting stuff, and I'm happy to say that uh, while we uh, while we took that little break to listen to the interview, we got a live question from uh, Ed Reardon. Ed, thanks for reaching out. Ed asks thoughts about lease labor to ease the driver shortage. What do we think about that? Um, actually, I think the the potential for using um, driver leasing companies is um, is quite large um, because it takes um, a lot of effort to find drivers to qualify them to train them properly for for these jobs, especially for private fleets which require more experienced drivers and their job entails more than driving so they're they need customer relations skills they need um, uh, technical knowledge about some of the dangerous materials that they might be handling if you're hauling petroleum especially uh, for example so uh, there are, um, I, I think we will see more outsourcing of driver recruiting and training um, services um, in fact you know, one of the major players in this market is called Transforce, and uh, we've reported on this company. It, it recently was, uh, it's been buying up uh, a, a local leasing companies all over the country. I think it is the largest now in the country. It got bought itself by an investment firm, and I think the, uh, we saw that because uh, uh, investors see potential here for um, providing a service that will help the industry do its job. Yeah. Yeah, and the, and the private carrier industry is interesting in that, as you noticed in your noted in your reporting, some companies maintain fleets and some companies do not. So uh, we can look, you know, specifically at the retail sector. We've got Walmart with a, its own huge private fleet, yeah. and we've got a key rival Target without one. So there are there are certainly different there are different mindsets and different strategies that people are companies are pursuing when it comes to how to handle their transportation needs in this sector. 
these sectors. Exactly. And this question of whether you have a fleet or not is has been around forever, right? And and um, the, the more difficult it is to run a trucking company, uh, uh, either because of the equipment's expensive or you can't find enough drivers, um, that's just one more thing that makes it uh, a difficult um, decision for companies to, to maintain a, a, a fleet. Um, so it is interesting to see how uh, different companies uh, respond to this. Walmart is, you know, is, has a very prominent um, position in the in the business, uh, wanting to control uh, the fleet that makes uh, that delivers goods to its stores. Uh, Target, on the other hand, um, uh, outsources virtually all of this. But um, as we reported in this uh, in our coverage this year, uh, they do maintain a very small fleet in Indianapolis, and um, part of the reason for doing that is to. Uh, maintain a check on uh, on what the for hire market is up to to give them some experience with running trucks so that they're in a better position to negotiate uh, with with carriers. So, um, if if you were asking me what if I if we're going to see more outsourcing or less in the future, um, um, I don't have a real good answer for that because I think we're going to see both um, uh, trends continue. Um, um, and both the for hire and the private fleet market are going to be constrained in terms of capacity. I think people will have to start looking uh, at other options uh, for um, for hauling their freight. Getting more efficiency out of their existing fleet is one way to do that, for example, um, uh, because it will be uh, going forward um, uh, difficult to to expand uh, both for hire and private. You know, on the, the the notion of a Target maintaining that small fleet is kind of a check. I thought that was really interesting when I, when I first read your story, and I thought to myself, is this really an effective, accurate, useful measure? I mean, do you think that that's enough? Do you think that having, when you look at the scale of that company and mm. the scale of their transportation needs, and they're just, I, don't, I, don't, I can't recall how many trucks it is, but I don't think it's representative of what they need. Do you think that's enough? Do you think that's really valuable? And should more fleets be doing something like that? Well, I think it, what Target is doing is is not uncommon for for companies that outsource most of their transportation um, to maintain some sort of private fleet so they can keep a foot in in the business. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think you have to be really huge in order to uh -huh. to gain the experience and knowledge that you need. Um, um, I, I think Target is satisfied that that they're getting some value out of that. Um, certainly, Target's a big enough company; it could do whatever it wants, and uh, um, and so far, it's taken this this approach. Um, a couple of the other, we we talked to a couple of other um, businesses that are in the food service side, um, uh, a company that runs uh, or that distributes product to Pizza Hut, Taco Bell, and and Kentucky Fried Chicken, for example, um, is one that relies on outside carriers and. Uh, uh, they form a, uh, a purchasing co-op in order to increase their buying um, leverage, right? That's one way to do it. We talked to uh, a couple pizza chains that, that, that you're all, we all know and love, right? Domino's and, uh, and Papa John's. Um, both of these companies have actually increased their uh, reliance on private fleets, private trucks. Uh, why? Because um, they see it as part of the... Um, 
um, part of a way to control their, their supply chain. From So they have these distribution centers which uh, supply everything that these stores need from food to other supplies and so forth. And having the trucks uh, as part of the mix gives them control um, uh, and r relieves uh, their franchisees and independent uh, restaurant operators from uh, the burden of, of uh, managing this transportation services. So they think it's very key to their uh, strategy, overall strategy. And, and frankly, if you look at the financial results of both of those companies, um, uh, they make money on, on distribution. Uh, it's a big source of profits for them. So, um, so, so there's a lot of reasons um, to do that. Okay. And the furniture sector has been pretty active these days as well. Furniture uh, is, a, is a good, is an interesting uh, example of, of maybe what we're talking about here. That um, one of the biggest furniture manufacturers is Ashley uh, Furniture in Wisconsin. Now they've had a private fleet for years. Uh, they've continued to grow it um, um, over the years. And what they've done recently is added uh, intermodal transportation to the mix. So uh, they're definitely committed to staying uh, in the transportation business, and but they're looking for alternatives to having trucks on the road, right? So intermodal is, is an option for them. Another company called Bassett uh, Furniture Industries uh, in Virginia actually bought uh, full ownership of a trucking company called Zenith, uh, which they had a minority share in. Um, and owning this company gives them the, the ability to do home delivery. It gives them access to warehouses where they can uh, store inventory uh, uh, more easily. Uh, so uh, that's an advantage that they see. Um, there's a new company uh, listed this year for the first time, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, called uh, SE Independent Delivery Service. Uh, and it's the uh, company that delivers furniture uh, to, uh, for Rooms to Go, which is a major uh, retailer. Unlike most private fleets, uh, this company uses uh, independent owner-operators uh, to drive the trucks and deliver the goods. Um, most, most private fleets um, have employee drivers, uh, but the use of owner-operators uh, is something, it could be a sign of things to come, Joe, and, uh, because it, it is also another way of recruiting drivers. Um, um, where it may be difficult to get someone to come to work for you as an employee. Um, if you can offer them the opportunity to run their own business, uh, have their own truck, that appeals to a certain sector of drivers that uh, has been untapped by these type of fleets before. So I think that's something you know we should watch very carefully. In fact, there's another company um, also listed on the top 100 this year for the first time called uh, CNS Wholesale Grocers uh, in New Hampshire, um, and, and this is a major uh, food wholesaler that has uh, historically used owner-operators to uh, drive its trucks, um, and uh, it's, it's listed, as I said, for the first time this year, in part because it took over uh, a fleet operated by uh, uh, Bilo Holdings, which was a supermarket chain uh, in the south. Uh, so we have two examples of companies that use owner-operators, and uh, again, I think it's something that we should watch very carefully. Yeah, and one of the things that I found um, interesting in reading your reporting is that, as we mentioned a minute ago, 
even though that these are highly sought after jobs, there's so much difficulty in finding them. Trucking companies historically have tried to make these jobs look cool and mm. and, and and bring people in sort of by by casting a light around. This is this is something aspirational. This is something fun. This is something you want to do. Drive for you know drive drive a truck for us for this company. So we put together a kind of a fun little montage of different commercials and different presentations of how companies have portrayed themselves and what it'd be like to drive for them and drive one of their trucks. And we have it here for you. Take a look. Young truck drivers wanted. Apply at your Texaco dealers. This is the Texaco jet fuel truck. Children love the way it looks, the way it rides, the way it steers at the touch of a hand, like no toy they've ever seen before. From the early days of television, brands have attached a coolness factor to trucking. The Texaco jet fuel truck. It costs $5.98 and compares to toys costing much, much more. You'll find it only at your Texaco dealers. Get one soon. And remember, trust your car to the man with the star for products you can trust. The Texaco Star! TV commercials have evolved from spotlighting the man with the star to Hollywood's biggest stars, including action star Jean-Claude Van Damme in this Volvo ad that has been viewed 80 million times on YouTube. No, I stand here before you. What you see is a body crafted to perfection. A pair of legs engineered to defy the laws of physics. And a mindset to master the most epic of splits. To rapper P. Diddy, who hitched a ride en route to an award show in this Pepsi commercial and suddenly made it trendy to own and drive your own delivery truck. Hey, I'm, I'm late for this award show. Can I get a ride? Come on, hop in. I tell you, Carson, the excitement here is tremendous. Look at that. I didn't know P. Diddy drove a Diet Pepsi truck. I drive this truck for the weeknights and I save that one for the weekends. Don't scratch it. Whether they featured the trucks themselves or the men and women who drove them, advertisers have long seen an opportunity to market their products by connecting viewers to the vehicles and drivers they see alongside them on the highways. You lost? I just thought I would drive. Ah, please. I'll drive. I'm a four-time cup champion. Why wouldn't I drive? Because a five-time big rig delivery driver of the year doesn't ride shotgun. But I have over 80 career victories. I've delivered over a million cases of Pepsi Max. 200 miles per hour every weekend. Zero speeding tickets ever. And didn't I just see you crash a couple weeks ago? Hey, man, that's racing. It happens. Not on my watch. Oh, no. I got it. I got it. Really? This you solved happened. it? Yes. Uh, left turn coming up here. Of course. Turn left. I've had a lot of success turning left. But when it comes to addressing the driver shortage, the marketing message has to move beyond coolness and target the quality of life aspect, as seen in this Wells Fargo commercial that has been viewed more than 1.6 million times on YouTube. I missed you. Did you bring new ones? 
You work hard for more than just you. You went to Montana. I did. I went to Montana. Working together will help you save for her future geology degree. Wells Fargo. Together we'll go far. Those videos are a lot of fun. Personally, I could use one of those diet Pepsi trucks in some of this DC area traffic, but I'm probably not going to get one. But one of the questions, or not one of the questions, but the question we received more than anything leading into this show was about finding drivers, as we've covered. And uh, somebody who knows a lot about it and somebody who can help us answer some of the questions is our editorial director, Neil Abt, who has kindly joined us for this segment. Thank you, Neil, for being here. Um, one of the questions that came in more than once, and it's an issue that's facing the industry broadly right now, is bringing in veterans to the, to the, to the trucking industry and taking advantage of, of a labor pool that already has a training, already has experience behind the wheel. And uh, we chose one of the questions from George Yara Savage. I'm sorry if I butchered your name, George. <laughs> but uh, George asks, how successful have carriers been at recruiting ex-military men and women? And I put it to both of you. Do we think this is something that the industry should be doing more of, reaching, reaching out to veterans and bringing them in and having a place for people leaving the service to land? Yeah, uh, thank you for the question, George, and thank you guys for letting me sit in with you for a few minutes. Uh, just want to congratulate Dan and the team for getting the Private 100 together. All of our lists are quite challenging. Uh, the Private 100, when you get into that corporate world, can, can, can bring on some additional unique challenges, which we've learned with Dan's help to overcome. So I we'll want to congratulate uh, Dan. I, I also very quickly want to mention that uh, Joe Howard is going to be leaving TT soon. He's going to be taking a position with uh, uh, American Trucking Associations with some of their councils to be beef up some of that coverage. Uh, it's been about a decade or so, give or take, and, and we want to wish uh, Joe uh, good luck and sorry to embarrass you. So on to the, <laughs> the, more, the more serious uh, uh, topic at hand here in terms of the veterans. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, of movement going on in this area as, uh, as more and more uh, return home. I was out last week um, with uh, Kenworth uh, a media event there, some, some driving and, and a lot of good discussions there. While this might get away from just the private carriers, they have tied themselves in with the TCA, the Truckload Carriers Association, very heavily involved on the military side, and also a company called Fastport. Um, Fastport has really helped take a lead. I'll get mention a little bit more detail what they're doing in a second, but they've started these job fairs. Uh, the first one was in Fort Benning, Georgia. They said there were about 27 trucking companies, again, we're not talking just about private carriers in total, with an estimated 1,000 open positions. Uh, they had a great, uh, they said, great response. Uh, for Kenworth's part, uh, they, they had a T680, one of their, their flagship models there, uh, to sort of show off and, and to sort of get some of the veterans back that might not be that familiar with uh, trucks to sort of get them in the truck, show them around. Uh, some of the, the, the automated manual transmissions uh, uh, certainly could be a, a winning factor for some that aren't as familiar. Uh, additionally, Kenworth is part of, uh, additionally, Kenworth is part of um, a contest TCA is putting together about, uh, I think they're going to call it the best veteran rookie truck driver, and the TCA is putting that together, and the winner will get a brand new for themselves T680 through that contest as another way to sort of reach out to uh, military veterans. For Kenworth's part, they were very, very modest about it, and I don't want to imply that Kenworth alone is, is doing this, but, but they sort of said, hey, we hope they'll see and see our truck and say, hey, this is what we want to drive, but uh, they were pretty modest and realistic about it and say, this is the right thing to do, and the more the industry as a whole succeeds, 
the better off everyone will be. Just want to very quickly mention this Fastport. I had a chance earlier this year to very informally speak with them. Uh, it, it was very interesting, this sort of app and, and software they're putting together, where they, can, they allow, would allow someone, and it's not really military specific, but they're creating something where someone can be applying, not just I want to apply to the truck driver for a company, to break it down to they're almost seeing, get a good sense of the route they would drive, what's being looking for. So th that's digging it down, and mm -hmm. it's still being developed and, and being rolled out. And again, this was an informal discussion right. while back. But, but it, it was very interesting that it wasn't applying for company X. Mm -hmm. It was, oh, to, I'm applying for a route going from city X to you know, city Y. And, and, and that takes it to a level I had not seen before. It's an interesting development, as everyone seems to try, attempts to find a way to solve this driver shortage. But drilling down on specifics is a, is a good thing to do, not just in terms of route, but also in terms of skill sets and experience. Because one of the things that we did hear from Sean Stewart, for example, at Windsor Staffing, he wants to know why is it so difficult to get a job at a private carrier. You know, from his perspective, these jobs are hard to get. We spend a lot of time talking about how there's this need, but other people out there are saying, well, that's true, but it's also hard to get these jobs. And I think one of the reasons why, or some of the, a good reason why is a need for expertise. A lot, in some of the companies, Dan, you spoke to, talk mm -hmm. about how they only want experienced people because they don't want to spend time training or they feel like there's, what, what they need is pretty specific. Right. Um, I think most companies uh, have a, like a two-year uh, experience requirement to be hired, for example. We got a question from uh, Brad Morgan who drives a bus and he has a Class B CDL uh, right now and he drove rigs in the military as well. And, uh, and, and he's asking, um, you know, what it takes to get uh, the uh, Class A CDL to allow him to drive uh, rigs. And he's running into this problem. He doesn't have the two years experience. So where does he go to get that? Um, um, uh, this is a problem actually that uh, uh, is being worked on. I think FMCSA, uh, the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration, is actually working to give uh, military people credit for their experience in the military, and that can be applied to a CDL. Um, that should help. Um, you know, many firms uh, do cover the cost of training, uh, but it is expensive. Uh, and I think many people would be surprised at the cost of of uh, getting the, the, the training, to get the license, to travel to the testing center. Um, this is a, a major expense for a lot of people who may not have a lot of resources uh, in order to get them involved with the industry. So I think um, companies are going to have to look at that and maybe extend some financial aid to, to come. So, to yeah, individuals. I know uh, ATA at their annual conference next month, they're going to have uh, General Stanley McChrystal speaking. There are a number of educational or other sessions there where, where this is going to be a, a hot topic, if you will, there. I've seen McChrystal speak on some late night talk shows and, and some of the, the cable news programs, uh, speaking maybe a bit more in the business, general business sense on these larger programs and drilling down into trucking. Uh, but he had some interesting things to say, so, so that's another opportunity for people uh, interested in, in finding these drivers. Dan, I, if you don't mind, I want to come back to something you referenced earlier when I was listening off camera. Uh, it, you, and you just mentioned again now about experienced drivers, about the private fleets um, seeking only uh, experienced drivers um, with the, and that's maybe one of the reasons over the years they haven't had the, um, 
the, the shortage problems, maybe the pay has been a little better, all of these reasons, and now it's starting to trickle down. Uh, I guess it's a, it's a two-part. One, is it still one of the reasons on the experience drivers? Well, all fleets want to be safe. I mean, that's a given that there is this larger image at play for a retailer, some that you mentioned, I'm not going to single out any, that what happens on the road could have a direct impact at a retail store. And is that, was that some of the thinking behind the need for experience only? And along with that, now that this driver shortage is finally trickling down to the private fleets, do you think that they're going to get to the point where they need to rethink that and say, maybe we, we have to move this merchandise that we need to make sure we have the drivers and have to relent a little bit on some of the longstanding policies that they have instituted. Yeah, uh, I think we will see some change in that area. The drivers for private fleets are definitely brand ambassadors, so and their responsibilities go well beyond driving in many uh, respects. So um, um, uh, as they um, uh, attract more uh, people who have less experience, I think this means that they're going to have to step up and provide more training or more, at least more finishing uh, training, on-the-job training for, for these guys. This is an expense, no doubt about it, um, but uh, it, it's coming and uh, people are going to have to um, deal with it, sure. Something else that's come up a lot is the possibility of maybe bringing down the legal age, you know, the, the minimum age requirement for a driver. Is this something that we think will, will take hold more heading forward? An 18-year-old tractor-trailer driver out there? Well, um, sure. If you're asking me, um, I think the idea of lowering the minimum age to drive trucks interstate is long overdue. Um, it is legal for younger people uh, to drive trucks intrastate, and to me it's only logical that these, these drivers be allowed to cross state lines, especially in areas where uh, you can cross several state lines in a very uh, relatively short distance. Um, I think, uh, Joe, what's, what's been missing from the, the debate on this issue so far is any real data on safety of these intrastate drivers that are uh, over 18 but under 21, right? Um, I think uh, once you get uh, some information about uh, their track record, um, I think that will provide the uh, uh, assurance that everyone's looking for that these guys can operate safely. Um, uh, I, I don't think you'll see these guys uh, 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 get behind the wheel and drive by themselves. I think you'll see more of an apprenticeship approach uh, where they'll work with experienced drivers to, to gain the experience. Uh, I think so there'll be more oversight of these guys, which is good. Um, another thing that you, we're going to have to see, I think, is a, a change in the attitude of insurance companies over the risks that they perceive these younger drivers being. So um, uh, if they uh, can accommodate uh, the younger driver uh, without uh, punishing companies with higher rates, then I think you'll see some movement in this area. I think Dan makes some, some really good points there. 
Um, and just to clarify, this isn't just a private, this again isn't just a private fleet issue. This is something sure. moving through Congress. We, Congress is about to come back into session and a lot's going to go on this fall. It, it's sort of nice to be talking more trucking today in some cases and, and sometimes we talk about uh, Congress. But th this is going to be something more of a pilot program probably to start, assuming this pass and go through and this is going to be an industry-wide issue that, that companies, whether for hire, private otherwise, will have to decide for themselves. I, I don't think anyone will hold it against a company if they make the decision to not go the 18-year-old to, to start because they feel they can get through without it. Uh, uh, but uh, Dan makes a good point, uh, both in terms of the, the uh, intrastate, the, the distances people can drive versus crossing state lines, and, and uh, the question he raised about uh, some state safety statistics can be difficult to obtain, certainly, but, but I think Dan made a lot of good points of something that's going to affect not just private fleets, but the entire industry moving forward. Well, along those lines, you know, throughout the entire industry, you could also hire older drivers. That's another question that came in. Uh, Mark Kalin says, how do you reach older people who might be seeking a second career as a truck driver? So now you have the opposite end of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, Joe, um, as far as recruiting older people is concerned, I think this illustrates another uh, important trend in the market, which is there's no longer a large um, homogenous pool of prospective drivers out there. Um, uh, companies need to target different groups and uh, retired couples is certainly one of them that's available to companies if you want to pursue them. Um, women is another category uh, that's relatively uh, untapped, I think. Uh, immigrants, uh, uh, you know, trucking is, is, has been an entry-level job for, uh, for uh, people who emigrate to this country for years, and it, it's really continuing today. If you look around different parts of the country, you see tremendous uh, influx of, of uh, people from the Middle East, India, Russia, uh, Eastern Europe, um, and those are communities that can be tapped for, for new drivers. Um, Displaced workers um, is still a source uh, potentially for, for drivers. If you look around the country at places that haven't recovered from the recession, th there are still some places like that. Um, they could be uh, uh, a source of help. Um, I think the industry needs to look more at minorities um, and urban dwellers as opposed to rural. I think uh, you know, that's where most of the people are. Uh, uh, um, you hit almost every possible <laughs> sector. One might be oil gas, where mm. there was a time when the boom was going on, where there was this push of, oh, we're losing a lot of drivers. Probably not going to be this well, way forever, but there could be some all of a sudden saying, wow, I left, I left trucking to go you know, for this, this can't lose opportunity and things have, have yeah. really slowed. I'd yeah, also well, mention, I'd also mention, uh, we have covered the driver shortage uh, in the January live on web in particular is directly focused on driver shortage. Also, Dan mentioned women. We had one in the middle of the year on women in transportation focused a lot of it on the team element and some of the older uh, drivers. Uh, those replays uh, are available on our website and, and I think for anyone who may not have seen them and maybe uh, dealing with the driver shortage now, even more so now than even a handful of months ago, there could be some valuable information uh, stored up there that, that may be uh, useful to see. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I just, um, uh, I'd like to kind of put a question to you th that about what this, what we may be looking at in the future. Um, 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 
one of the keys to getting more drivers is going to be changing the nature of the job. Shorter routes, um, more predictable routes, possibly, fewer long hauls. Um, so in my mind, this means um, more, more companies are going to have to consider the possibility of using autonomous driving vehicles to cover some of their routes. What do you think about that? It's Boy, you know, uh, it, it depends on who you on on who you ask. So, I mean, let's have to state as exciting as this, this autonomous and 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 associated with that platooning, which may be a little bit closer uh, 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 to reality than some of the autonomous. Um, autonomous is not driverless. Everyone, as much as that gets overlooked, you still need that driver. But it is it is uh, interesting to provide take a little of the stress off the job. This is still a ways away. If someone's looking to say all of a sudden they have a driver shortage, I don't think autonomous is going yeah. to be the short-term answer on how to get people in the seats, whether they're actively driving or not. At the same time, I do think that this exciting technology is part of the equation, maybe a bit more on the younger than maybe the older question, to at least get someone who may be starting middle school or high school this week or, or last week to sort of say, wow, this, this is really interesting stuff going on. And as this matures the next few years to say, where do I want to go? What, what career might I want to enter? That this may be a way, this, it's not a truck, it's not, it's not dirty, it's not a truck. This is a piece of technology. It's this mobile, exciting, technologically advanced office to maybe attract some of them into it as this stuff develops. I'll also mention uh, uh, Daimler trucks, uh, they're not the only ones. They had a very high profile event we've talked about at, at the uh, Hoover Dam earlier this year. They're licensed to test this autonomous, uh, they call it the Freightliner Inspiration Truck, uh, in the state of Nevada. They are planning a, 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 a small media event during the month of September in Nevada. Now, I have no, inf no knowledge that this is exactly Inspiration Truck related. But they're going back to Nevada with a couple media people. We'll have someone from Transport Topics there. There's a chance that they may at least address the topic of autonomous trucks, maybe see how far it's come in a few months. I mean, this stuff is happening so quickly. So anyone interested, I would encourage them to check back uh, with TT in, uh, in the middle of September because there may be a little bit more news on, on just how fast this stuff could become reality. And it's the kind of thing that, we, that nobody was thinking about three years ago, five years ago, and all of a sudden it's right here. So it's funny that a lot, a lot of the kind of, a lot of these things, a lot of these challenges that companies are facing are things that they just weren't even worried about not that long ago. We've already we've talked about it some, but Dan, you reached out to some of the leaders in you know in, in the private sector, saying to them, in response to a question we received actually from uh, Ralph Tentler, what's the most successful hiring practice you've initiated recently that you never would have considered a few years ago, and you. Uh, you reached out to the industry to hear some answers on that. Yeah, I, I thought that would be a good question to put to other fleet managers, and uh, we did get a few responses. Um, um, and this will be this will sound a little bit uh, redundant, perhaps, because we've covered some of this ground already. But Paul Mergerdition at uh, DOT Foods uh, wrote to say that uh, he he advertises differently, uh, using more social media and internet advertising more than he's ever done before. I uh, heard from John Wilson at Save-A-Lot Food Stores in St. Louis. Uh, he was one who said on a case-by-case, -case, very selective basis, they're looking at drivers with less experience than they normally uh, seek in terms of their applicants. Um, Richard Evans, uh, who works at Valley Proteins in Winchester, Virginia, said, uh, 
Uh, one thing that is new for them is the use of a third-party screening resource to evaluate candidates and move them through the pipeline. So this gets to my point earlier about using outside companies to help in the recruiting process. So those are some of the responses I got. Interesting that Paul mentioned, a DOT who's mentioned using social media. I mean, that's really just an incredible way. You, you, see, you see ads popping up. It's an incredible way just to reach directly into so such a huge pool of candidates. Yeah, and, and you know what? It, it, it also it goes beyond that, just reaching. Um, it, it, I think companies need to, um, to look more closely at what young people generally are doing and how they think about work. And um, my generation, uh, having a stable job and, and doing you know, good work was important. Uh, and and you, you like to stay with the same company for years. That's different now with the younger generation of workers. Uh, they want to get more out of the job than, than just a paycheck. So the terms of engagement are, are going to be different for these people. Um, and to see what I mean by that, um, I would encourage everyone to uh, view the entire Skype interview that I did with Ron Drogan because you'll hear him talk at the end about what he's done recently uh, to get his employees involved in a campaign to raise awareness about human trafficking. Um, it's something that has a, a, an impact on his workforce that helps him uh, uh, recruit uh, people, good people for his, for his job, for his company. Social media, I think, takes a little bit of the, uh, some of the scariness that could be, oh, it's a scary truck, what's a truck, and, and some, especially with, with younger people learning about and, and figuring out what they want to do, and, and, and a way to, to connect directly, whether it be a fleet, we, we can see some of the, the OEM suppliers all to sort of get their own message out and sort of uh, uh, have a little bit of fun and toss in a little bit of education. And, and it goes back to maybe where I started with, with Kenworth in terms of, hey, we just want to get them inside a truck because maybe that can be half the battle, whether it's their truck or anyone else's. And that same sort of thing applies in terms of this this gradual education and gradual sort of warming to each other, in this case through a computer or a phone, tablet, whatever the case may be, to say, wow, this is a kind of a cool company and they're, uh, they're taking me inside with a video or a photo of, of this truck and it's actually, not only is it not scary, it's actually pretty cool and maybe something I'd want to think about and, and I think that's a route that it, on the younger side is going to have to tap into everything and this is one of them. Plus, you can, and, and you can engage in conversation that way, too. People who are, you know, want to check out a company, they can look at comments. They can see what people are saying about that company. Mm -hmm. So if, if your social media presence is very good and very vibrant, like you say, that's one way to do it. But also what people are saying about you mm -hmm. because, it, you know, it's out there. So Learn about the, the, the company culture, the corporate culture, things right. that are going on. There be volunteer, charity, fun things going on, whatever the case may be, and and it it, it helps to to give a sense as to what the company really is about and what life's like with the company beyond, oh, we just need drivers get behind the wheel and start driving. Because right. some companies like Transport Topics do things like host live on web, do these <laughs> cool things, and we're not just a newspaper. <laughs> we're a website. We're live on web. Uh, we do it all around here, right? Mm. So, uh, mm. well, I said we had a lot to cover at the beginning of this presentation, and we have covered a lot. Um, so I want to, um, we've run out of time, mm. but I do want to sign off and thank again our sponsors, PeopleNet and Denso, and also thank Dan and editorial researcher Brandon Green, seated right there, for their efforts in bringing this list together. Thanks also to Ron Drogan for taking time out of his busy schedule to talk with us, and also our fearless leader, Neil, who has plenty to do, and uh, decided to sit in with us as well. Our next Live on Web will be on September 16th, right around the corner. 
The subject is intermodal shipping, and it will be held in conjunction with the release of our next list, which I mentioned at the top, our brand new Top 50 Global Freight Carriers list, which will appear in the September 21st issue of TT. Scheduled guests include Mark Holden, President and CEO of A&R Logistics, and Curtis Whalen, Executive Director of the Intermodal Motor Carriers Conference here at ATA. Since this list is something new, we're going to host a Live on Web in advance of list release, so we'll hope you'll join us then. Please visit liveonweb.ttnews.com for more information on that. I also want to mention we have a special subscription offer for our viewers today. Please check out liveonweb.ttnews.com. Subscribe for details. And if you've enjoyed this program and others just like it, please join our fan club, liveonweb.ttnews.com slash fan club. You just might earn yourself one of these cool mugs. Until next time, my name is Joe Howard. On behalf of Dan Berth and Neil Apt, thanks for watching. We hope you will join us again. Take care.